Hello and welcome to the World Resources Institute's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. This week, the story is the link between environmental degradation and disease. This is nature biting back from all the things that we have done to some of our natural systems and the way that we interact with wildlife. At a time when the world is still struggling through a pandemic, it's time to put the way we treat nature under the microscope. H1N1, COVID, Ebola, so many more are linked to biodiversity loss. Hello and welcome to this deeper podcast dive into WRI's Stories to Watch for 2022. I'm Nicholas Walton. Every year, the World Resources Institute explains the stories that we think are critical for tracking the environment in the coming year. You can dig out my WRI podcast interview with Ani Dasgupta about the overall picture. But in this series, we're digging deeper into issues like coal, electric mobility, and in this one, the link between the environment and pandemics. Here's what Annie had to say about it. 75% of infection diseases comes from pathogens that live normally in the, in the animal kingdom, in, uh, in animals. Zika, Ebola, the current one, come from this interaction. So as you can imagine, there's a whole community of people who work on protecting forests, reducing deforestation, uh, biodiversity, and there's a whole other community of public health experts And the story really is about bringing these two communities together to think about long-term prevention of pandemics. Ani Dasgupta. So, to kick off, let's hear first from Krista Karch, who first raised the issue as a potential story to watch and was responsible for researching it. I was really thinking about trying to broaden the lens of WRI's interests and issues and bring something to the table that would really integrate this big issue of the pandemic. The stories, the issues that we were looking at, they Uh didn't address really the elephant in the room, which is much more than an elephant, which is the fact that the entire globe has been going through this uh, very intense, deadly, world-changing pandemic. And right around the same time, I started reading about the new malaria vaccine that is going to be rolled out this year. So I started thinking about the fact that with global warming, more countries around the world, wealthier countries, are going to have a demand for the malaria vaccine. And so I began really investigating this issue of how global warming impacts public health and really reading into that. And and initially, that was actually my story pitch. My story pitch was, um, we need to look at the malaria vaccine and the rollout and whether or not wealthy countries are going to demand it and whether we'll see the same thing with the malaria rollout as we did with the COVID-19 rollout. As I sort of moved through, I, I really wanted to connect it more directly to WRI's work, to WRI's expertise. And the more um, I was investigating, the more I realized that this issue wasn't necessarily one of how we respond to an illness, how we respond to something like malaria, how we respond to something like COVID, but how we can actually prevent those illnesses from the very beginning. And I began to really, from there, you know, really began to look into the issue of biodiversity loss and, and learning about zoonotic spillover. So I, I really realized that that WRI has all of the data, all of the research that we need to identify where biodiversity loss occurs. There are hundreds of thousands of zoonotic spillover events that happen every year, and most of them we don't even notice. But when we do notice them, they emerge as things that we've all heard of. H1N1, COVID, Ebola, so many more are linked to 
biodiversity loss. There's a whole host of reasons for for biodiversity loss, illegal forestation, deforestation being one of them, but also, you know, issues like farming, right? Agriculturalists who, who need more space for their animals, right? There's a growing population and people are pushed closer and closer to habitat of wild animals who haven't historically been um, integrated with, with humans. And when that happens, particularly when you have uh, farm animals in close connection with wild animals, that zoonotic spillover occurs. When you have um, wildlife uh, markets, live animal markets, uh, a zoonotic spillover happens. Um, and all of those things are related to that biodiversity loss. So this is really a, a reminder that behind something as simple as as worrying about the climate, we also have to worry about all the different multidimensional ways in which the environment changes when the climate changes and all of the other pressures on things like forests and all the biodiversity loss that, that may accompany it. It can lead all the way through to health implications and, and other impacts upon humans. Yeah, absolutely. You know, WRI is very concerned with climate change. That's our overarching issue. But we also have programs on, you know, food, right? How do, how do people eat and how does healthy eating actually improve environmental outcomes? So when you think about a place like WRI, we have excellent research and data, some of the very best in the world. But there is lots of evidence that if we can connect the dots on these issues, utilize the research that we have, end deforestation and, uh, you know, irresponsible forest management and really put a cap on biodiversity loss, the incidence of pandemic of zoonotic spillover can go way down. Krista Karch. You're listening to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcasts, and this is a deeper dive into our 2022 Stories to Watch project. Next, for more analysis of that link between environmental degradation and disease, I turned to Chip Barber, the director of WRI's Forest Legality Initiative. Does he see this as a story about what happens when we don't treat nature with the respect and care that it deserves? Well, yes, it certainly is. Um, We're still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, and what we've seen is that Despite having spent something like $200 billion on vaccines, you know, the ability to test and to do tracing, but it continues to be a problem. And the, the painful lesson from all this is that it's incredibly hard to contain a pandemic once it started. And most pandemics come from spillover of viruses from animals to people. They're zoonotic, including the COVID-19 one, which is thought to have originated in bats. And the number of these viral pandemics over the last century or so has, has increased. They're, they're getting more frequent and they're spreading further. And this basically has its roots in um, increased contact between human beings and wildlife. And also there are the domestic livestock in the picture there. And it's basically something which has its roots in the way that we treat nature, in particular tropical and subtropical forests being degraded, fragmented, and deforested more and more hunting and trade of wild animals and more mixing of, of, of domestic livestock in areas where you have deforestation and you have wildlife, you know, in the field, in markets and things like that. So yes, I think it's pretty well established that this is nature biting back from all the things that we have done to some of our natural systems and the way that we interact with wildlife. 
Is this seeing a crisis of biodiversity as something more than just losing a few species and a few bits of forest here and there? Something like the breakdown of an established natural system and the problems that then come from that? Well, I think probably uh, the way to look at it is when you significantly remove and degrade a system like the tropical forests, you certainly cause huge problems for biodiversity because something like as much as 80% of terrestrial animal and plant species are found in those tropical forests. It's a problem, as we know, for climate change as well, because of the emissions that come from deforestation. And we're now increasingly seeing it's a problem for human health. So I think these are three bad outcomes of having a broken relationship with nature, and they are intertwined. And does this extend into the food and land use system? Obviously, in some parts of the world, there are very intensive forms of farming that uh, maybe uh, involve too much use of of pesticides, too much use of antibiotics. Well, yeah, that's, that's, of course, an issue. I mean, what generally happens with a zoonotic spillover incident is that you, you have intermediary hosts often, um, and, and, and those can be domestic animals, they can be wild animals. So you, you get a primary spillover, say it, it, it comes from a bat, you know, a bat is in a market and, or, or something like this. And that same market has a lot of uh, domestic animals, pigs, chickens, cows, whatever. Um, and they're all being slaughtered and sold in, in, in the same kind of proximity. Not only can you get then the spillover to human beings when you have these, these intensive systems. And, you know, we're now increasingly seeing what they call spill back. That it's going back from human beings into other species. So the coronavirus that has caused COVID-19 is now being found to be widespread in white-tailed deer in the United States. The deer didn't get them from bats. The deer got them from human beings. So it, it's just impossible in, in, in the kind of world that we have now that's so interconnected. Once a, a disease is crossed over into human beings because of globalization, poor governance, as we've seen you know, in the United States, as well as other places, it cannot be contained. So the kind of su- surveillance containment kind of approach that says this is only a problem once it spills over and has caused someone to get ill is, you know, the cat's out of the bag. Or you, We need to be going further upstream to try and reduce the risk of those events happening to begin with. And, you know, it's kind of a no, no regret strategy as well, because that's what we need to do to conserve biodiversity, to maintain the ecosystem services that we depend on for agriculture, pollination, rainfall, and things like this, and to reduce emissions that contribute to climate change. It's not like we can change dramatically the whole system that we've set up for food production in the world, but it can definitely be improved to be a lot safer. And and there's basically a a few pretty simple things which could be done. And this new study, which was just released last week, uh, it's a big uh, peer-reviewed study on this, said that the annualized cost of new diseases of this type, of zoonotic origin, is conservatively at least $200 billion a year in economic losses and um, a value of human lives lost conservatively $400 billion a year, whereas an investment of about $20 billion a year would actually do a lot to reduce the risk of this ever happening again. And, and the things to do are things we know how to do. There's just not the political will to carry them forward. So what are those things? Well, this comes a lot from wildlife. And so what we need to do is to find ways to much be much better at monitoring and regulating and reducing the trade in wildlife for food, for pets, and other uses. While there's, there are some communities who depend on wild meat, most of it is really for luxury use. 
Secondly, as I mentioned before, we need to reduce deforestation and, uh, and the fragmentation of tropical and subtropical forests. That's where these viruses are coming from. And in order to do that, one of the best tools we think is to ban the import of products that come out of deforestation, like when forests are cleared for palm oil or soy or for raising cattle and things like that. There's right now in the United States and the European Union and the UK, laws are being basically finalized that would do this. They would basically say either if products that you are importing into one of those jurisdictions can be shown to come from having been a cause of deforestation, then there will be restrictions on their import. So that's something which can be done. Thirdly, you really need to, to improve the kind of health care that we have for both humans and animals who live in rural communities in and around tropical forests. If you look at vaccination rates right now, for instance, who is not getting vaccines? They are the poorest people and they live in the places most at risk for new outbreaks. So that's a problem in the way that we raise and slaughter and trade um, animals, cows and pigs and things like that. That has really, in many cases, poor biosecurity. And then finally, um, there are tools to get out there and do the surveillance for brand new viruses that are at that interface. And we need to apply those much more systematically. And that can be done in tandem with improving rural, rural health care in these areas. And that was Chip Barber. For more, you can dig out Annie Dasgupta's presentation on our website at wri.org slash stories dash to dash watch. And the podcast with him, plus those on coal, electric mobility and much, much more are at wri.org slash podcasts. Of course, you can find and listen to all of our podcast library on everything from preventing deforestation in Cameroon to mobilising communities against pollution in Mongolia, Jamaica and Indonesia by searching for WRI Big Ideas Into Action podcasts on your favourite podcast app. I'm Nicholas Walton and until next time, goodbye for now. 